Radio Split Ranch. Hello and welcome once again to Radio Split Ranch, a monthly visit with the Capital Region's great radio personalities of the past and sometimes present. I'm Warren Garling when I'm not on the radio. And you're listening to theme music written and played by my good friend and sometimes lunch buddy, Drew Jacobs. So uh, this would be a great time to plug his newest CD, Christmas Ball Busting, the perfect gift for uh, your loved ones this Christmas, as long as they understand that not a shred of evidence exists in favor of the idea that life is serious. They'll enjoy such uh, soon-to-be seasonal favorites as Santa Claus is Coming to Rock You, which you may already know if you listen to Dr. Demento on the radio. And don't forget everyone's favorites to be Flat Santa, Bad to the Claws, Climate Change Christmas, and Rudolph's on Steroids. You won't regret breaking your Christmas budget by buying Drew's new release at DrewJacobs.com. Good luck. WRKO, WNBC, MTV, KDKA, WYNY, WGY, WGNA. If you recognize any of these call letters, you'll want to hear what our next guest has to say about working at these high-profile outlets. He's made stops at all these recognizable addresses, and then some, and ended up settling here in the 518, we're happy to say. That's why we were able to entice him to stop by the Radio Split Ranch on a recent Saturday afternoon rainy one at that. Here's my conversation with Buzz Brindle. I think the first question that comes to mind, Buzz, is uh, where did Buzz come from? Because I know your first name is Ron, so right. where did Buzz come from? I had many on-air names, and uh, my very first one, uh, back when I, right out of high school in Providence, Rhode Island, was Ronnie Roman and the Roman Empire of Sounds, Ooh, which was boy. kind of like influenced by the whole doo-wop era kind of mentality. I was going to say, it almost yeah. sounds 50s-ish. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. In high school, my homeroom class, there was a kid who was involved in a, a one-watt radio station in the Mount Pleasant section of Providence, yeah. uh, and it was called WMPA. That's what they call it. It was a pirate radio station. Sure. And so they invited me to be part of it, and so that was my name, uh, and I did that. And then How um, old are you at this time? 18. Okay, all right. Um, yeah. And uh, then uh, I went to college. I went to Northeastern University. It was Ron Brinville on the air there. But uh, <laughs> And then I was a, I became a board op. I quit I quit college. I was bored to tears in college. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I spent most of my time at the campus radio station. Well, there you go. Because I didn't really know what I wanted and, to be. And, well, I did know when I was 13 years old, I remember it was July of 1960. Uh, would be 1960. I was 30, okay. 13. Uh, I was listening to there was a guy named Dave Sennett okay. who used to be a WTRY. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dave Sennett was a midday guy at WPRO AM in Providence, and I was listening, and they were doing a remote broadcast, supposedly allegedly from Rocky Point Park, which was uh, the kind of great escape of Providence. Okay. Yep. Yep. As far as I knew, it was live. It may not have been, but I, it hmm. sounded like it was. I don't know if they did that type of stuff. You do recreate the illusion later, the theater of mind stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, I suspect it was probably live. But anyhow, I was thinking, that's kind of a cool gig. And I also used to watch a lot of... Uh, I'm getting a, this is a long way around to where the that's buzz okay. came from. That's but, okay. But... Uh, 
uh, I used to, used to watch, of course, there were all those, those, those movies, those black and white movies they used to show on television in the early days that were kind of depicting the Depression era. And the radio people always seemed to be doing very well. Yeah. And yeah. were accepted by all different strata of society. Yes, it seemed that way. Yeah. And so I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. You know, I like, you know, I, I came from a, you know, middle, middle class family in a agricultural community in Rhode Island. Uh, but I had aspirations to be more than that, or at least to you know, meet lots of different people to be accepted by a lot of different people. I okay. thought, well, this is, that's kind of an interesting gig where I could be accepted by the well-to-do and accepted by the relative, by, by the common man. <laughs> uh, so this is an interesting, I, you know, I kind of like that idea for a profession. So very early on in my life, I decided that's broadcasting, radio broadcasting is where I wanted to that's work. That's wild. And so when I was in college, I got, in, I got accepted at the radio station. I didn't get on. I had to audition for nine months before I got on the air at the college radio wow. station. Yeah, uh, they were very exacting. Um, and but my sophomore year, I spent two thirds of my time at the radio station and cut all my classes. Yeah, so yeah. that's basically what happened to me too. Yeah, yeah, and it was like, well, okay, this isn't working <laughs> out. And they they held me back. Wow. And I was like, I I had been on the honor society in high school, uh, but it was like I wasn't making it in college. Yeah, and it was like. Yeah. And I got offered the opportunity to be the all-night, overnight board op at WRKO Boston. Wow. Uh, which was a union job. It was IBEW. It was it made good money. Mm. I actually was still enrolled in college, so my first class was at 8 a.m. Mm. So my notion was I was going to work overnight and then go to the 8 a.m. class. Oh, well, sure you know, you that were. didn't work out yeah. very long. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I eventually quit. And, there was a, a guy named Shadow Stevens, uh, a jock named Shadow Stevens, who eventually went on to be a TV oh, yeah. announcer. Sure. Craig, Craig Ferguson. Was it Craig Ferguson show? Or, um, uh, well, no. Uh, one of the overnight shows. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, he was the, he was the, uh, yep. the uh, announcer, the Ed McMahon version on that show. Mm -hmm. uh, he was very psychedelic, if you would, uh, and uh, in, in his approach on the air, and what, I was what, inspired now, this by was that. The, he was doing overnights. Is this no, no? He was. I, oh, okay. He was the. Uh, he was the six to nine guy. That oh, okay. So I had moved right. up. Oh, okay. Good. Uh, good. And uh, uh, in my uh, because I was. I loved being a board op. Wow. I, I love being, a, the union guys didn't appreciate it very much because mm. I, you know, they didn't want to, they wanted to do production, which meant they hung around and didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. yeah. I wanted to be a board op. <laughs> so I would train shifts with them when ah. I had a production. It was like, oh, I'll yeah. do that board oping thing. So, cool. uh, that, I, that was great. Uh, I viewed it as kind of a producer kind of job. Sure. Yeah. I was influenced by Shadow's approach and the language he used, whatever. And there was also a, a, a newscaster on CKLW, J. Paul Huddleston. Okay, yeah, I think I remember and that name too. So somehow I decided when I got hired at WICE Providence, my first real professional gig, mm -hmm. that I was going to use a different name. So I became S. Brindle Brown. Now, okay. if you've... <laughs> In and the service, called you S. <laughs> it, it actually, yes, actually, there's there's a, a JJ Jeffrey who I worked with at WRKO calls me Mister S to this day, uh, and uh, as does Gil Gross, I think. Uh, but uh, the yeah, but I, I don't know if you're familiar with the the term. I could as a podcast, so I can say it's shit, Brittle Brown. Okay, uh, okay. So to so me, it was a goof yeah, on the name, sure, you know. Sure. Yeah. Uh, 
there were other people that didn't quite understand, didn't even get the joke. It's like, <laughs> why would you call yourself that? Because it's funny. Yeah, you know, exactly. I was, you know, 23 years old. You sure. know, I thought it was funny. Yeah. Um, and uh, But I'm just going way off on this one. <laughs> I got called by WRKO one day. I was working the nine to midnight shift, I think it was at the time, at WIC in Providence. And there was some story that happened in Providence and they wanted an actual, a voicer. Yes. They wanted a report. Sure. So I, they called me mm-hmm. because they knew I was there. And I did it and I, I reported it as S. Brindle Brown. And I was banned from WRK by the news director. Who never, never, never let that, that on again. <laughs> you know? So, but anyhow. So I became, I was S. Brindle Brown then. And then I was uh, Todd Stevens for a while at a small radio station okay. uh, in Providence. Mm-hmm. And they gave me that name. And then I went to uh, Washington, D.C. And the uh, general manager wanted me to be Senate. I was doing afternoon drive and they wanted me to be Senate in session till seven. You know? Okay. Uh, yeah. So I became... Because I was influenced by uh, Dave Sennett, who had been on the air at WPRO and who used to be at WTRY, when he wanted me to be Sennett, S-E-N-A-T-E, I became Sennett, S-E-N-N-E-T-T, and then... I was influenced by Kurt Vonnegut, so I became Kurt Senate. Oh, there you go. There you go. (laughs) In session until 7. But, so I did afternoon drive Monday through Friday in Washington, D.C., and then I did weekends, Saturday and Sundays, at WYRE Annapolis, because I was a radio geek and I had no life. Only working seven days a week? I mean, what's wrong Precisely. And I was Tom Campbell there because that was the jingle they had. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, (laughs) did that. And then I got, uh, funny thing, I got fired in Washington because the morning guy did a bit. There was a a big grocery chain that serves Washington, D.C. called Kroger. Yeah. And... Their advertising, the guy who did their advertising was a guy, former radio guy. Uh, and I had actually been to a Christmas party at his house the night before this occurred. Uh, but there was a, a spot, a produced spot on the morning show for wholesale fryers. Okay. And the morning guy introduced it as an hour word from Chicken Man. Hmm. All the executives from our station were out of town in Detroit at the time because the company that owned us, Sonderling, had just bought Keener in Detroit. And some rep from the advertising agency, a young lady who didn't have much of a sense of humor, apparently, (laughs) called and wanted the morning guy fired Mm. because of complaining because he introduced it as Chicken Man. I was kind of full of myself and kind of viewed myself as being having more authority than I really did from programming. <laughs> okay. And because I had met the guy, you know, and whatever, I called the agent because I wanted to find out what the problem was. I was sure. like, he was a radio guy. He understood it. And it was like, this, he's drawing attention to your spot. What's, why would that be a problem? Well, I didn't get him. I got her. Uh, and she didn't like my attitude. There you go. As I tried to explain it. So she called the sales manager and they fired me. Mm. It was an after job. So I got severance. A week later, the general manager of their Chicago radio station, WGLD, a gentleman named Charles Manson. Okay. <laughs> yes. Had decided they they were a an album rock format. 
He was an Elvis fan and decided to, without corporate approval, switch formats to oldies. Why not? <laughs> Why not? So all of a sudden, they needed an oldies program director. So they called me. Okay. So I was making... I was being paid severance mm. and got a new job where they were paying me. And they were flying me back and forth from Washington to Chicago Whoa. because I lived in Washington at the time. Yeah, sure. So that, that happened for a while. I, I thought it was highly amusing. Um, <laughs> Have we gotten to buzz yet? We haven't got well, We're about to get to buzz because <laughs> Charles Manson didn't care for me much. Okay. Uh, and the uh, and corporate was kind of like an happy too because they wanted to come in and change all the disc jockeys' names to generic names. Okay. Uh, Rick Shaw, things like that. Oh, boy. So that they could just replace disc jockeys and not have to... Oh, you know, sure, yeah. Stuff, yeah. Right, you know. And I, I battled them on that, and that didn't make me popular. So <laughs> I eventually got fired there. And <laughs> my former station manager at WNEU in Northeastern in Boston mm -hmm. had just gotten a gig as a station manager at this new radio station in Pittsburgh. Okay. Owned by the Pittsburgh Gazette. Uh, WPEZ, and he called me, and he wanted me to be program director. So I was like, well, great, okay, fine. So I went there, moved to uh, Pittsburgh, and he had hired this young 19-year-old kid out of Detroit, Bob Pittman, to be the assistant program director. Ah. When I met Pittman and started talking, I realized he knew a heck of a lot more about programming than I did. Mm-hmm. Because uh, he was an, uh, an acolyte of, uh, or, uh, of a guy named Buzz Bennett, who was the consultant for the radio station across the street, 13Q, which was like the number, like the the, the primary top 40 station in town in Pittsburgh. Gotcha. We were the also ran to FM, gotcha. uh, top 40 radio station. And so I said, you be program director, I'll be assistant program director. Nice, yeah. So, well, it just made sense to me. So he decided he wanted me to be Buzz Bennett on the air. Hmm. I said, "Well, you know, I'm sick of being another person. I, you know, I, you know, I've been using these fake radio names sure. all the time. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll be Buzz B Brindle." You had to throw the B in there for the Bennett. Bennett, right? Exactly. <laughs> and so that's where Buzz came from. Oh, be and I figured it'd be temporary, and it just stuck. Yeah, yeah. And by this time, how many years into your career are you? Uh, I well, let's see. Uh, my first you know, WIC was nineteen sixty nine. This was now nineteen seventy three. So it took a while for you to yeah find the identity right, you exactly. would hang on to. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and then you know, here we are in the uh, 21st century and it's still, still calling you buzz but i wouldn't call i you know i wouldn't i i forbade my family to call me that ah. now my stepdaughter does call me that okay she still calls me buzz <laughs> uh but but uh, nobody else calls me buzz yeah uh and because i was always i always tried to keep my on-air persona separate from real life oh sure Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and I did the same thing. Yeah, and, and pretty right. much f uh, to keep the wife happy. You know, right. she wanted a separate life than all the disc right. jockeys hanging yeah. around the house yeah. and stuff like that. And yeah, uh, yeah but when, when my boy started answering the phone at, you know, five or six or seven, whenever we let the kids start answering the house phone, uh, people were calling for Chris. And there's no Chris in this house. They were hanging up on, right. on them, you know. And, and by this time, I'm probably a program director. Right. But they just yeah. didn't realize right. exactly. that I was using a different name on right. the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. 
So it, it can happen. But uh, I've always known you as Buzz, and I think everybody in this market, obviously. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's become a, Buzz, it's, yeah. it's a, it's been, it's been a brand <laughs> that, <laughs> that I've uh, exploited. There you go. There you go. <laughs> So, um, uh, when I'm what I'm excited about with your career, and the reason reason I really want to talk to you is that you're one of those guys that did wind up bouncing around a bit, but you seem to be improving market wise as you were doing it. In many cases, you seem to be going from, or at least you know, yeah. I, I well, I was I lucky. Mean, you're talking Boston, and, yeah. and you know, you're talking. Did you say Pittsburgh a few minutes ago? Yeah, well, it was and Boston and Pro- well, Providence, Providence, and then Boston. Providence, and then Washington D.C., and then go. Chicago, and then Pittsburgh, and exactly. then New York. Yeah, yeah. So, Where, yeah. whereas mine goes, uh, you know, college in, in Boston, and then uh, Saratoga Springs, Troy, Albany, back to Troy, Albany. You know, so well, it depends on your what on what your ambitions were too. True. I mean, you got what? How old were you when you got married? True. Uh, yeah, when I got married the second time and she told me she was a twin and she was going to stay in this market, mm-hmm. I said, well, then I don't think radio yeah. will be the forever yeah. thing for me. See, I didn't, get married till, I didn't get married till I was 44. Oh, wow. wow. So See, I yeah. radio was my wife, yeah. if you will. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> I made that, that particular career choice. So moving was a lot easier easier for, for you to do exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, and that changed when uh, I eventually when when you know I've been out of radio for 14 years now sure uh, and when I left WGNA um, and uh, it was like well, okay my mother-in-law had just moved her my father-in-law had died mm. my mother-in-law had just moved to Saratoga to be near us our youngest daughter was 13 in middle school mm-hmm. it wasn't a good time sure to move it didn't seem yeah. to me it was didn't seem fair yeah. to do that there was i couldn't be that self-centered mm-hmm. i tried to get gigs i talked to uh places about uh, gigs where i would be out of the market during the week and then come back over the weekends mm. but none of them really worked uh and then eventually it was like let me try something different. Sure. Uh, I tried. <laughs> I created Brindle Media, which yeah. was supposed to be, you know, a, a hodgepodge of things: voiceover, marketing. I was trying to do. I tried to create a business for uh, this back in those particular days. It was becoming a thing for small entrepreneurs, people working from home with mm-hmm. small businesses. Sure. Uh, I enjoyed when I was a program director. I enjoyed one of the reasons I really things I really enjoyed doing was the marketing, uh, the the research, and then basically creating a way to connect with cust- with listeners. Yep. Uh, uh, and um, using those devices, and we did direct mail and whatever. And mm. and I thought, well, there was a company that called Send Out Cards, which is a multi level marketing company, but they were mostly about sending. Uh, birthday cards and whatever but you could real estate people were using it to uh connect with clients and whatever and i thought well this could be something interesting there were people small companies could small businesses could use this service because they had a um, system where you could create messages mass messages if you would okay, customized sure. mass messages gotcha. but it look i mean it looked like you you could use your signature and all this other stuff mm-hmm. uh you could you could personalize things yeah. and send them out to clients and and customers i thought this one could be very useful to people 
I wasn't very good. What I learned was I suck at sales. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that pretty easy. Yeah. And also, the company just was not interested in really moving in that direction. Sure. Uh, so that didn't work out well. And uh, so anyhow, yeah, I tried all these different things and eventually moved on had, from there. Had to, had to go back to actual work. <laughs> I had to go back to, yeah. Well, the, my wife okay, actually became, it was interesting. My wife became the breadwinner for the family. Ah, there you go. Molly, yeah. Uh, yeah. she uh, got offered a gig with New York Racing Association. Uh-huh. So she was living downstate four days, or, or yeah, Tuesday through Saturday, mm. and then commuting back home and going back. Oh, so okay. I became Mr. Mom. Sure. I raised our teenager, my young teenager. Terrific. Daughter, yeah. Uh, which was a, was, a, was a great experience. It was a blessing in a lot yeah. of ways for yeah. me. Yeah. It's kind of rough on Molly. I'd uh, imagine. And uh, although she likes, she enjoys the racing industry and she liked that too, but she didn't care for the commute much. So, anyhow, yeah, I mean, you make things work. You make things. Exactly, exactly, yeah. and and, that, and that's what I did when I when I got let go um, from GNA right. in uh, in eighty six, early eighty six, on my son's uh, uh, birthday actually, seventh birthday, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. So something I'd always remember <laughs> yeah, the day, you know. Yeah, um, uh, you know, Marie said she says she doesn't remember this, but she said, and this is in my the, the book that I wrote, my memoir. I'll have to uh-huh. ask my mom. I'm thinking of the sequel. I'll have to ask my wife uh-huh. uh, because, you know, she, she said, well, maybe radio doesn't have to be your end all and be all. And that's all I'd ever done for 17 years, right. you know, since I was a teenager. And But she was right. I mean, w- within uh, two or three years, I was making three times what I was had made mm-hmm. in radio, right. which wasn't hard to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bar was kind of set a little low there. And so, um, you know, I found it very enjoyable to be able to, after about two years, I went back part-time on the radio. Right. And that was enough. That, that right. kept me, you know, just a few hours a week, you know, kept the, uh, the, the devil fed mm-hmm. and I was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but bottom line is there is life outside of, of radio right. and, uh, and you can still have fun with it in many different ways, like you tried to do, you know, with the marketing yeah. stuff. You know? And then when I went back to, you know, I, I got offered the opportunity to do, I actually when uh, uh, they, uh, Joe Riley had uh, and Nero Patel had purchased the jockey, mm-hmm. uh, they offered they they offered me the morning job, ah. but I said, you know, mm-hmm. if I were, well, a, I didn't want to do it, but b. I had a different concept about how. I mean, if I, I wouldn't have been. I would have. I would have been happy to be the program director. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had a different concept about what that morning person should be. Yeah. Uh, and I viewed bringing in. You know, I'm glad you, Lou Roberts got the gig, but uh, I would have brought in a younger guy who was just starting a family. Sure. Who. You know, did the morning show and then went out and did sales. Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because that's the old radio way. But, you know, given I mean, it's like, don't pay attention to Albany. That, you know, <laughs> Albany clients are not going to buy, spend advertising on your radio yeah, station. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, focus on your strengths. But sure. um, anyhow, I turned that down. But then they offered me the opportunity. Chris Martin was doing a, a Sinatra show mm-hmm. on, uh, on ABY. And uh, then he became ill, and he couldn't do it anymore, and they needed somebody to do it. So I came in, and I, uh, I said, okay, I'll voice track, which Joe Riley wasn't really happy about. But I said, you know, voice tracking is an acting job. Oh, it is. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and the whole idea is to make it, make the audience feel that you are there. Exactly. Yep. And I know you, that you have the same philosophy. Yep. And uh, 
so I did a three hour, three hours on Saturdays, three hours on Sundays. It was, and we called it Sinatra and Friends. So I expanded it to be more than just Frank Sinatra music. It could be Natalie Cole and, you know, Michael yeah. Buble and, you know, even, was, I think it was Zach Brown and uh, Sarah oh, Bareilles. Really? Did a, wow. Did a, a song that, that fit. Yeah, you know? if it fit format. Uh, sure. uh, but I would spend probably s- at least six hours doing the research, voice tracking the shows for those six hours because I would go in, I provided the music for their, their system, the selector system. And then I created categories and whatever for the music. Okay. Then I had Nira Patel uh, generate my music logs. Okay. So I would had I would know what my music logs were going to be for that weekend. Good. And then I would go through and research the various songs. And I, you know, had a balance in terms of, I had a certain number, maybe four live breaks plus, you know, talk over things. Sure. And I would organize what I call personality bits mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to uh, with information about the songs or whatever it was. Uh, and I would create scripts for myself because I'm not very good ad-libber. I, okay. I, I don't ad-lib very well, so I work better off a script. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and trying to make it sound like it's ad-libbed. Sure. Oh, uh, yeah. That's yeah. the whole idea. Again, like, it's like acting. Make it sound real. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I would go in on the uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Okay. So Tuesday nights, I would go in after work uh, and voice track the... Uh, Saturday uh, show? Well, no. Actually, I would do the uh, both the Saturday and Sunday show, but I would do the kind of the generic bits. Oh, okay. The top of the hour ID. Oh. The, you know, the, the, there'd be certain liners I would do or whatever it was. And okay. I'd do that. And then on Thursday, I would go in and do the more specific... Huh. bits that because I knew what was going on on the weekend sure. more about the weather and things like that and yeah. what was coming up so I could it, it gave it a little bit more uh, that was the depth mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the depth bits if you would uh, so I did that uh, and, and that worked out pretty well the funny thing was that my dad had an aortic aneurysm. Mm. Uh, he didn't die from that but he, he had an aortic aneurysm and almost died from it I had gone to, I, I had had a, one of those family doctors who was, I didn't particularly care for that much. It was one of those guys where you went in for an hour and he saw you for three minutes yeah. and yeah. then tried to sell you something. <laughs> yeah. uh, fortunately, he left the practice and a, younger, a new young woman took over. And I liked her a lot. And I said to her, you know, my dad had this aortic aneurysm. Shouldn't I be checked out for this? Mm, yeah. I mean, I was at that point... Just, 72? Yeah. Something like that. And, and, and uh, you really Not 72. Had... Yeah, but 62. 62, uh, okay. But still, that's uh, about yeah, the time yeah. you have to start yeah, worrying right. about the heart. Yeah. So they sent me in for uh, for stress tests and whatever and discovered that I had this 90% blockage. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, and so I gone to the cardiologist. I gone to the cardiologist and he had told me that. And it was like, oh, okay. He said, no, you need to, you need to get... Mm. This was the th- a Thursday okay. afternoon, right? Okay. Yeah. So I'm recording my show <laughs> that night, and it turns out I had been uh, told by management that they could no longer afford me. Oh, boy. So my last show was going to be New Year's weekend mm. of 2016. Okay. So I'm in the, the cardiologist's office on the Thursday before New Year's weekend, and he tells me, you've got a 90, and you need to go in. Now. now, now, and I said I can't do that because I've got got a show to record. Yeah. I've got I've yeah. got I've got work that I've got to go. My wife needs to understand some things. Tell you what, I'll go in 
on Friday. And he's like <laughs> looking at me like, what are you doing? He's like, no, yeah, I, feel life. I feel great. It's just a matter. Of, I'm not going to die on you. Don't worry about it. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> he looks skeptical, but I was right. <laughs> and uh, so I went in that night to record what could possibly be the, my last your show. swan song. My, you know? yeah, yeah. May, in, in many different... <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, exactly. Wow. And buzz. so I, I got a quadruple bypass surgery that weekend. Wow. I came out of my coma for that <laughs> on the Sunday. I'm not sure if my show was on the air at the time yeah, when I came yeah. out of my coma. Wow. But <laughs> that is some story. Yeah. That really is something. Yeah. yeah. So that was uh, that was an interesting yeah. uh, radio experience. My, my final radio experience. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, what a way to go out, yeah, yeah, you know. Right. Sure, yeah. sure. Now, it, it, you reminded me of something uh, in my many uh, few different incarnations on, on WTRY. When we started doing voice tracking there, John Gabriel was doing uh, the music, mm-hmm. but basically it was making sure the music was you know in the library and it would be printed out, as you say, so right. you knew what was coming up. He would, on Wednesday or Thursday of the week, send me the, the, the Saturday and Sunday music logs. I did the same thing like you were doing, I and, and I'm doing it with oldies, obviously. You did a show prep. Yeah, show prep, and that way I knew exactly what songs I was going to have to either go into or out of, right. and you know, I wound up saving that stuff. I had a book about an inch and a half thick, mm-hmm. a three-ring binder of all these intros that I'd written over the years, and I would go back and use them a, a year sure, or two why later. Not? Why not? Nobody's... You know, kind of remember what I remember I said. there was a philosophy that, that, that back in like it was 1971 or something, like Charlie Tuna or somebody, whoever it was, the yeah, just jockey. And it was like he would not recycle a bit for six months, okay. And it was like, and, and later on, it was on like people don't listen that closely. You can do it every you know, just yeah. move around. In fact, when I was doing the uh, uh, sadly, because of, of corporate. Budgeting, mm-hmm. it was decided that we were going to eliminate the overnight position, jock position on WGNA. Okay. I was able to save Mike Snyder, who was the overnight guy, for another year because September 11th had happened and he had done a great job of creating truckloads of stuff that people had, had donated. Yes. So based on that, I was able to, to keep him another year, mm-hmm. but eventually they said, no, we've got to cut the job. So I didn't have an overnight person. Uh, so I became the overnight person and mm. I voice tracked it. Oh, yeah. And, but, and I did what, uh, what I call the kind of personality things, mm-hmm. uh, which I ran at like the 36 break or something like that. Sure. Uh, and it was, they would call them buzz bits. You know, okay. That's, what, that's cool. what I call them anyway. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're little things that added a little bit more content, sure. hopefully yeah. something that was you know either informative or amusing or whatever, sure. uh, thought-provoking. Well, here's some good news. Uh, according to Time magazine, making love can boost your health, relieve pain, and help keep you healthy. There's a headline. According to, to this article, sex is a good aerobic exercise which improves your circulation and helps prevent heart attacks, burns around 200 calories, releases endorphins which help ease chronic pain like backache, arthritis, and migraines, makes you less vulnerable to depression, calms your anxiety, boosts your immunity levels, may help to prevent some forms of cancer, and helps you live longer. Oh, honey! And I put them in the computer system, and I had them in a rotation. Okay. So they could, the one that ran at 
birthday, 1236, on a Monday night, might run again at 136 on Tuesday and 236 on Wednesday, sure. or whatever, and just sure. rotate it because it was like people don't listen that long. Exactly. And they, and they don't pay that much attention anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're half listening to you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is why when people ask, well, how come I'm hearing the same commercials over and over right. again? It's because research has shown that people just aren't picking up any of that information until they've heard it, it about at least ten, three, ten, yeah, ten yeah, times right. or At least three yeah. times. I mean, it, the, yeah, the bit yeah. was with weather forecasts. You have to play, do it three times for them to pay attention. There you go. To notice it. Yep. Yeah. So. Well, I I also learned um, doing public speaking and and um, educational sort of uh, you know teaching and that over the years uh, to uh, tell the people what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you right. told them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and that way, finally, they they you know get it by the end of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had sent me um, uh, besides some of the buzz bits, which I'll I'll drop in here. You had sent me an, an air check of uh, a pretty uh, well. I you know the one that I was impressed with. Tell me how you wound up. In New York City and at WNBC. Okay, uh, I was. Um, this is another roundabout story here. That's fine. But I was a WPEZ uh, general manager of our stations in, in in Pittsburgh. Charlie Warner had been hired by NBC to be general manager of WMAQ Chicago. Okay. He hired Pittman to be the program director. Pittman offered me the assistant program director job out there, but I decided to stay in Pittsburgh and be the program director of WPEZ. Okay. The new general manager came over from KQV, and he fired the guy who had hired me, Dick Booth, the guy <laughs> that I had gone to college with, and mm-hmm. brought in another guy. Uh, and the other guy and I didn't work out. Yeah, <laughs> so happens. He was going to fire me. Uh, I happened to be friends with uh, a guy named Dennis Waters, who was the program director of 13Q across okay. the street. Yeah. And he had just been made program director, so he had been doing middays, and he needed a new midday jock. So he hired me. So I went from program director to midday guy at 13Q with no management responsibilities and doubled my salary. Whoa. Uh, which wasn't didn't break my heart. <laughs> Lo and behold, a year later... Cecil Heftel, who was married, it was a congressman and married to the heir of the Dole Pineapple Fortune and owned 13Q, sold his broadcasting company to Nationwide Insurance, and they fired the general manager and brought over the guy from WPEZ, who was oh, my former course. general manager. Of course. <laughs> so <laughs> Buzz was gone pretty soon uh, after yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, I f- was friends with the, gen- the program director of KDKA. Mm-hmm. And he needed a, uh, a summer swing shift person, so he hired me. So I went from 13Q to KDKA, Jeez. which wasn't a bad thing. Not at all. And then Pittman got hired in New York at WNBC. Right, WNBC. And, and uh, so I was out of work. I was, uh, well, my stint at KDKA was up. Uh, I, was, I moved back home to Rhode Island with my parents. I was 30. My dad said, well, maybe it's time for you to get a real job. Uh-huh. I'd been a program, <laughs> I was like, I've been a program director in major, in major markets. markets. Yeah, you know, yeah. This is my career. What are you talking about? Get exactly. a real job. Yeah. Uh, well, but, of course, they don't understand that this is yeah. the business. Right. That you're, you know, if yeah. you don't get fired, then you yeah, were right. doing something wrong. Well, he was in insurance <laughs> and he was in, in, in a more traditional business. Okay. That's, it, yep. So anyhow, 
I was getting really depressed and, uh, I had been, uh, uh, I was flown down to Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, to interview for a job, but I really didn't want to be there. Uh, and I just, I got offered a job at WPGC in Washington to be a scab and I didn't want to do that because oh, uh, they were having a, a, a strike. And so WPRO FM in Providence, uh, which was by then a, 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 like the major top 40 station in Providence, mm-hmm. was looking for an afternoon drive guy. I applied for that but didn't get it. They offered me the overnight show. Hmm. And my ego was kind of getting in the way. Yeah. So like, wait a minute. I've done afternoon drive and you know, I did morning drive in Chicago. I've done you know, I've been mm. a program director. It's like and I'm getting, you're offering me the overnight show. Yeah. And I sat down and I said, you know, Brindle, <laughs> get past your ego. Yeah. You know, yeah. you got nothing. Swallow your pride, take the gig. So I did. Cool. The next day, after my first shift, Pittman calls me from Boston, or from New York, and says, "How would you like to be the assistant program director of WNBC oh, New York?" Man, are you kidding me? So I went to the program director and I said, "I'd love to continue being the overnight guy yes, here, here, but, but, <laughs> wow, uh, that's wild." Once yeah. again, proving it's not what you know; it's it who is you know, who you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what's happening. I'm Charles McCord, WNBC New York, the most popular songs. Good morning, Buzz Brindle for Ibis in the morning. Come on, gotta get those limbs moving. It's 7 o'clock at 66 WNBC Radio. Sixty-six WNBC Radio. Good morning. It's seven oh four now. Four minutes past seven o'clock. Buzz Brindle for Imus in the morning. Better get up and put your long johns on. It's going to be cold today. Nine degrees right now. Good day for skiing, though. If you're a beginner or you've ever wanted to ski, or if you're an accomplished skier, stay right here. Twice as many chances for you to win complete ski packages from nearby Verde Valley coming up during the next twenty minutes. This is on. Seven oh six. Six minutes past seven o'clock. Thursday morning. Boy, this guy's doing okay. His very first album has got him four Grammy Award nominations. Christopher Cross at 66 WNBC. 66 WNBC Radio means twice as many winners every time. Good morning. It's 710. 10 minutes past 7 o'clock. Buzz Brindle for Imus in the morning. And if you call number 3 or call number 7 at 212-955-9066, you're going to win. Good luck. For Valentine's Day. 7767. 712. 12 minutes past 7 o'clock. Good morning. Did you see this lady on Saturday Night Live? Aretha Franklin, Lady Soul is back. Here's United Together at 66 WNBC. And then, you know, later on, uh, Pittman left and went to this new cable channel, which we didn't know what it was all about. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah. And what, what, whatever happened to that? Yeah, good question. I was teaching at, now this is, once again, the irony of my particular life. I was a college dropout. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a guy who was, uh, he came in, I don't know why he was at the radio station, but he was a ni- nice old guy. Uh, but he was teaching radio communications at NYU, New York University. Mm-hmm. But he was teaching like Eddie Cantor, you know, old oh, radio uh, show yeah, type oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was 1979. Okay. So he was, I don't know, he would, anyhow, he encouraged me to apply for a gig. So I became a, an adjunct professor. Uh, 
at a guy without the degree with the guy without the degree at New York <laughs> University teaching basically radio. Yeah, uh, they had a campus radio station. Uh, one of my students was a girl named Martha Quinn. I remember that name. Uh, and Martha also became one of our interns at WNBC. Wow. So one day, Fitman calls me, or I called him, or something. Anyhow, we were on the phone together, and he was explaining to me, but I was asking him, what is this MTV thing? You know, yeah. And he was telling me, well, we got a, I got a problem, because... Uh, Meg Griffin, who worked at WNEWFM, had been hired to be the overnight VJ at MTV. Okay. She decided she didn't want to do it. Hmm. So they were looking for somebody. Martha, who had been a, a, a DJ on the campus radio station and also had done at least a, she had done a McDonald's national TV spot. So she was an actress too. And she reminded me very much of, a, of, of, a, of another female disc jockey I knew, who was the first female disc jockey I ever considered not to be. I, I, a lot of female disc jockeys seem to try to sound like guys okay. or take a male All attitude. Right. Yeah, Ellie Dillon was the first one I ever heard who just was herself. Nice. Yeah. And Martha kind of reminded me of her. So I said, you know, Bob said, I'm looking for somebody. And I said, well, I got this young woman here. And she, he said, send her over for an audition. I said, Martha, <laughs> you're going to go for an audition for this new cable channel on TV. She went and she got the gig. There you go. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm grateful she continues to to acknowledge me <laughs> uh, for that. Mm -hmm. uh, but and then not long afterwards, well, maybe a year later. No, no, it was, no, it was the same year because uh, they signed on in August of, of 81. Right. And then he called me and asked me, oh, uh, there was a guy named Steve uh, Casey, who was the original music director of MTV. But he was offered the opportunity to go into a consultancy business with a program director named John Sebastian to create Sebastian Casey uh, okay. Consultants. Yeah. And I, he asked me what my opinion was. I said, you got to do that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so he left and there was an opening. So Pittman called me and said, well, do you want the job? Wow. So I said, sure. <laughs> so once again, right place, right time. That, that's and, right. And, and yeah, exactly. People, you know, so yeah. that's how I ended up at MTV. I have to say in radio, whenever I woke up in the morning, I couldn't wait to get to work. Okay. MTV was a great job and a great ego trip in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a, a great showcase if you will and you're making history you yeah know? right I all mean, that yeah. stuff but i never got up in the morning saying i can't wait to get to work uh, i did, didn't have the same passion yeah, for it yeah sure you know uh which was interesting so after a while it was like i'm i wasn't a tv person yeah you know yeah uh i liked radio because radio was a, a an industry where you could wake up in the morning have an idea go in and get it done, and you didn't have to rely on other people to do it. Sure. Television, I viewed as a committee. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually, um, after doing some uh, local TV, mostly public broadcasting, right. uh, as I was still, a, you know, still on the radio, I learned that um, the mistakes that I would make myself as a, a board op, you know, combination mm -hmm. announcer and board op, um, I had complete control over. Now there were people when you're on TV that can make you look good or bad, depending, you know, on, on their mood that day right. as well. 
I made sure after I learned that little nugget that I was friends with all the cameramen oh, yeah. and friends with the director in the booth and make sure that you, you, you know, uh, you know, kept them on your good side right. because there are many different ways they can make you look bad. Oh yeah. 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 I remember there was some concert Linda Ronstadt did at Radio City Music Hall and she annoyed the, the stage crew and oh, they, boy. Did, they did stuff to make her look bad. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It can happen. Yeah. yeah. But you're right. It is very different when you're a, a board op. And, and doing combo work in, in radio yeah. because it's all under your control, mm-hmm. which is why I used to love saying whenever I'd mess up uh, more than once or twice in a break, I'd say, is it too late to call in sick? Because it was mm-hmm. all on me. Right. You know, I wasn't yeah. making a mistake. Now, but you, you, when you started out and were doing board op work, I mean, you're, you're in the same kind of position. You right. could make that person look good or bad depending on right. exactly. you know, how you felt about exactly. it. Yeah, so I you, mean, I, I always felt, responsible for making them not making i mean i would never have intentionally made a mistake right 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 uh because i felt that my job was to make them look or to make the i was more i always viewed the radio station as the most important thing sure that sometimes got me in trouble with staff as i moved up and was program director yep because it was like it's in the best the radio station represents something to the listeners exactly and we're in service to the listeners yep Yep. And the listeners have this perception because they've chosen to listen to this radio exactly. station. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. to be, I mean, these are the people who listen all the time, not people who are just oh, sure. kind of yeah. found you because of the scan button, but people who have made you part of their family, if you will. Exactly. Uh, and we have a responsibility to them. And there is a certain expectation yes. uh, for the radio station. And that's kind of the way I always viewed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was one of those people. Sure, sure. You know, that's yeah, how I got yeah. sucked into it. Exactly. You were yeah. a fan. I mean, and, I used to think when I before I got on the radio, I thought that they all lived in the same house together <laughs> and they were all best friends, you know, got, the, yeah, you know, yeah. got together I, in the kitchen and hung out. I always yeah. thought they came from these uh, beautiful grand palaces that you sure. would work in, you yeah, know. Exactly. And then I saw my first radio station right. at 11 and I said, whoa, yeah. wait a minute. This is not what I expected, you yeah. know, but yeah. you got used to that. Oh, yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah. No, the radio station had to come first. I, I made the transition from uh you know disc jockey to disc jockey slash program director right and in order to you know hopefully get the confidence of the folks that i was working alongside but now had to work a little bit above and and kind of give them direction the only thing i changed was uh i started wearing a tie Mm -hmm. you know and i just said I guess I'm sort of management now, so at least I'll wear something that represents that, you know, this guy's a little different from everybody else here because he's right. got some decision making. Although you're going to run into problems with that because when you're that man, that's kind of a standard issue when somebody moves from the ranks up into management. People start attributing certain attitudes sure. that you don't necessarily have, but yeah. they presume you have. Exactly. Yeah. It was kind of like, I mean, I kind of made the, the analogy to when Bruce Springsteen made it to uh, the covers of Time Magazine and Newsweek back Same in week. 1977. And all of a yeah. sudden, all of a sudden he was, you know, too big for his britches. Yeah, right, know? And, right. and a certain music aficionados kind and, of dismissed him because right. he was, he was, had gone mainstream. He'd right. sold out. And like, it couldn't be further from the truth. No, of course obviously. not. You know, <laughs> but, yeah, you yeah. know, that's what happened. Well, I got yelled cool. at once yeah. when I was at NBC. Uh, Scotty Brink, who's a friend of mine, but Scotty was our morning guy. And I walked into the studio wearing a tie because I was filling in for the midday guy. And he yelled at me for wearing a tie. Oh, geez. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because he viewed that as selling out. <laughs> that I, you know, I was, yeah. in, this, ties are not allowed in the studio. That's, yeah. a, that's a suit thing. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? That's you good. Know? That's good. But, 
Yeah, it was funny. So where'd things go from uh, MV- MTV? What uh, what ha- how, long, MTV, how long were you there? I was there from uh, t- uh, Pearl Harbor Day, nineteen eighty-one, December seventh. Okay, I was kind of amused. I, I kind of relate to these disaster days. <laughs> okay, uh, and uh, and I left uh, Labor Day of nineteen eighty-five. All right, uh, and uh, so and then it was like I tried to, I. Had decided I was going to become a consultant, and I was trying to be a consultant. You know, it was interesting with the music video business because when MTV was on the air, the first two years MTV was on the air, the music industry didn't take it seriously. Certainly, because yep. it wasn't available in New York or Los Angeles. True. Uh, so you could get it up here in Albany. Yep. Uh, you could get it in a, at a lot of you know you could get it in you know other countries. Sure. Whatever, but. So most of our product was either from England or Australia. Makes sense. And those videos were a lot more artistically interesting. Mm. When America's record industry finally decided to invest in videos, they were much more literal. Yes. So you get... He opened the door. You know, have to show somebody opening the door. <laughs> exactly. you know? It's like so, and we had groups like you know everybody had to have, and of course Michael Jackson created this too when with Billie Jean became a big thing and, and, mm-hmm. and beat it and whatever and Thriller, but everybody all of a sudden had to have a video. Yeah, and you had groups like you know who were great visual performers who could pull off a video, mm-hmm. but then you had kind of generic groups like a foreigner or a toto who weren't high profile personalities make great music sure but weren't necessarily interesting to watch right and you know they made videos with these people i mean it's like this mm. is boring yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, sometimes they became video for video's sake right exactly yeah, yeah. and the whole and and we had discovered that you know because always with the controversy is that the song is it the video whatever yeah interestingly enough when we because i my department i was in charge of the music research uh, at MTV, we did like radio call out, but we did it nationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we came up with the question. We and actually, this came from a response we had from a, res- a respondent. They said, "I'd see, I've seen the song," and it was like, "Okay, have you seen the song?" <laughs> and so that incorporated the huh. visual and the audio yeah, element, yeah. and it, it, it tracked well for us. Sure. Um, I decided that I was going to try to become a consultant to the music industry to help them to create videos that were more true to what need, you know, to be more effective. Because sure, sure. But what it all came down to was, well, what colors do we have to use to put it in power rotation to MTV? It's like, that's not the mm, point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? exactly. Plus, I was also kind of amazed initially when I got an MTV that the record industry didn't view videos as a separate product. They viewed it as a commercial. Yeah, uh, it was like, wait a minute. Music started out as live, you know, troubadours, you know. True. And then you went to concerts, live concerts. Then eventually you went to records. Mm-hmm. Now you've got a video, which is an entirely separate entity true. that you can package and sell. It's true. Well, no, well, they're just commercials. <laughs> what are you nuts? <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, they yeah. finally figured that out, but yeah. it took them a while. So it's like you know, create videos that people are going to want to own. If you're going to do that, yeah, 
Exactly. Uh, yeah. But uh, well, that seemed like a, a natural next step, but yeah. it didn't but, really pan you out. Know, once again, I suck at sales, and <laughs> uh, and I just you know it's like nah, I just can't yeah. do this. And then I tried to be a radio consultant, and I wasn't very good at that either because it's like, why should we hire you when we have these established consultants that yeah. are out there? It's like, well, you're yeah. absolutely right. Uh, yeah. okay, so, uh, why would you do that? Uh, so that didn't work out. And then I got offered the gig at W. I was doing. Uh, 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 swing ship work at WYNY, the uh, FM sister station of WNBC. Uh, and I was also doing a syndicated show for uh, Dick Clark's company called Hot Rocks, okay. which was not very, I wasn't very good at it. I, tr- I was trying to do my Casey Kasem impression, and, and I was not wasn't doing it. Wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't good. And plus, you know, they would say, we're in the Boston market, but they were actually on Cape Cod, you know? Uh, yeah, it was like, yeah. there was no, you yeah. know, the affiliates were. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but, but I did that, and I, and I got money for it. I got paid. Sure. It was like, that was nice. Uh, and I was doing the swing shift at Y&Y. And then um, uh, Dennis Israel, who had uh, been at NBC and had also taught at NYU, was aware of me. I think some of my students were also in his classes, so he was aware of me. And, hmm. and somehow we got connected. And he had WGY. He owned W. He bought Persis WGY. Yep. He was planning on building a radio group because uh, this was in the uh, uh, late 90s. mid to late 1980s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so he offered, I, I had wanted to get back to New England uh, but couldn't seem to find a gig in New England. I viewed this area as kind of upstate New York, or the capital region is kind of new New England in a lot of ways. Okay. It was more like New England than it is downstate. Uh, true, true. Yeah. Uh, in attitude and whatever, in, in, uh, yep. topography. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so and the, the idea was I was going to become program director at WGY, and then eventually I would be, when he bought, uh, radio stations in New England, I would become a general manager at one of the New England stations. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's how I ended up up here. Well, we had the disappearing man here with us. I came back from my odyssey through the West, and he came back to find out all the weight he'd lost, Buzz Brindle. He's just fading away. Looks great. He looks really great. He's lost the weight, and I can't believe how fast he's taken it off and remained so healthy. Buzz, you look great. Thank you, sir. I'm disappearing, huh? The disappearing. Man. You look pretty good yourself, Harry. You got this tan. You have this. You're, 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 like, you're like a kid. Yeah, I feel like a kid. You're like you look like you're about 16. Oh, <laughs> Buzz, I really haven't told you how great you do look. <laughs> Not really, my goodness. Wow. Oh, so you can Nutrisystems really help. Kids, oh, you know? that's great. It's amazing. I, I've lost uh, three inches of my waist. I've, I've, I've reached my goal of 190 pounds now. Jeez. And so now we're going into the maintenance phase. See, with Nutrisystem, uh, they prevent you from getting into the yo-yo effect. What happens with a lot of uh, situations when people go on diets is, they, yeah, they lose a lot of weight, and then they just gain it all back again because they don't have the discipline and they don't have the information they need in order to, to, to modify their behavior. With Nutrisystem, they have trained professionals that help you with your nutrition uh, and uh, also in, uh, to help you to, uh, to uh, uh, set goals, to understand what things cause you to eat, and they help you to get through in order to keep that weight off and to lead a healthy lifestyle. Well, that's terrific. Yeah. 
It's surely done well for you. I would say you have to buy a whole new wardrobe yet? Yeah, I'm actually going to rent out space in these clothes. <laughs> <laughs> you really will have to tighten things up, won't you? Yeah, well, the tailors are really going to enjoy me. The tailors so. are going to make a lot of money out there. <laughs> you coming in here. Now, do you feel you look so young again? Do you think you'll let your hair grow longer well, and grow but, a beard? Well, well, we have to work on that next. I don't know if Nutrisystem has a program for growing hair oh, back. I Although, it's interesting no, because people, say about that. people think I have more hair now because my head shrunk. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not just because my ego, you know? <laughs> if you want to join me this summer and, and lose a little weight, call Nutrisystem. There are five convenient Nutrisystem locations in the uh, Albany area. 458-2209 is the number. Nutrisystem, they succeed where diets fail you. Well, it sure has done you well, bud. You look good. Then we actually, at uh, one point, a group of us, Dennis decided that we, there was W, uh, uh, what's, I can't remember the call letters now, in Ticonderoga, uh, AM and FM in Ticonderoga, okay. New York. That served, and, and it served, it had great signal, it was up on the, 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 the mountain at Ticonderoga. Okay. And it served the valley from Middlebury, from Rutland, or sure. Rutland up to, uh, uh, which is pretty sad, Burlington. Burlington, uh, yeah. And th that whole area. Yeah. Uh, so many of us invested in that station, and I uh, was kind of like the in charge of programming, whatever. Gotcha. We actually had better numbers than the uh, Eric Strauss owned the station of Middlebury, Vermont. Mm -hmm. We had better numbers in Middlebury than their station did. <laughs> but the one thing that I should have re realized as a New Englander was that New Englanders hate New Yorkers. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and so the local businesses would not buy time. There you go. Even though we had hmm. the results. Sure. Uh we off, we actually opened a, a, a sales office in Middlebury. I was trying to convince us, convince management. I, I'm not sure if this was legal at the time or if it just became legal to move our studios over to Middlebury and shoot the signal up to the transmitter sure. up in the tower. Yeah, why not? Uh, uh, there was some <laughs> there was some type of difficulty in doing that. I don't know why, but yeah. that seemed that seemed to make sense to me to do that kind yeah. of thing. If, if the issue was we were a New York radio station, then let's become a Vermont radio station. Yeah. Yeah. But anyhow, that uh, we, we, we kind of lost our shirt on that one. <laughs> uh, and then Dennis bought stations in New Hampshire, uh, Concord, New Hampshire, and the I'm not sure it was the economy or whatever. You know, this was, I think, yeah, I think the economy started to tank or whatever it was. But anyhow, they started losing money. GY was still making money, but it was all going to New Hampshire. Yeah, uh, the company, the, so the corporation was going bankrupt, uh, and uh, so Dennis got booted out by his partners, or he left. I'm not sure which, but anyhow, the partners were bankers. Okay, and they came in, and uh, they brought in a consultant, and I had I had met with the the head of the company. I said, you know, why pay a consultant a hundred? You know. A, I've got major market experience. Sure. B, what we really need is at WGY is a marketing budget. There Give you me go. that money. Don't yeah. pay the consultant. Give me the marketing budget. Now yeah. they wanted they, because they want you know management guys want somebody that they can you know. Yep. Exactly. Well, they're an expert. You know, it's like there you go. And if you're part of it, you're not an expert anymore. It's like mm -hmm. oh, who wants to be a member of a family that would have you as a member, right? Remember that whole thing. That's Groucho uh, Marx. I, I always explain it because like. Yeah. You're brilliant until they hire you, and all of a sudden you became stupid overnight. Yeah. I don't know why that happens, yeah. but it's, it does. always happens.
happens. That's true. Um, and so he came in. He was moving it more towards what became conservative radio, talk radio. Okay. And uh, eventually they, uh, I, I was tied in. Chloe Brothers and her husband Andy had kind of taken over as general manager and uh, and financial chief financial officer of the company. Uh, I was affiliated with them in corporate's mind. I mean, I liked them too, and I was psychologically affiliated with them too, and so we all got fired. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so then I was out of work, and it was like, okay, and then uh, ROW got to Jim Morrell, bought WROW, mm-hmm. M&FM, and uh, I persuaded uh, John Kelly to hire me. That was an interesting process because they hired <laughs> They hired me in, in the summer of 94, uh, no, 93, summer of 93. I got fired in, you know, Christmas of 92, whatever. So I was okay. going to work for six months and whatever. I got hired. And uh, so I got, had all this time to put together to do research about, because WROW and Molly, my wife, worked at WROW as the mm-hmm. FM as the promotion director. Okay. Uh, they were really, uh, Jake Russell, who was the general manager, was very concerned about moving to more of a current AC kind of format. Okay. And they were just perceived in the in the market as kind of old-fashioned. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they had 12-plus numbers, but they couldn't get the 2554 numbers. That's so true. As part, so I went in with the idea of making a modern, making a more modern AC station, uh, and so I got to design the logo, which they still use. Whoa. I designed that logo in nineteen eighty or nineteen ninety three. Okay, and it's still used still today. And uh, I got I got to do research about the colors. I worked with a couple of women over at Siena to mm. find out. I, it, it was interesting. Just doing, I, I really enjoyed doing the research. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and then I was only allowed to keep two members of the staff uh, from the entire staff. So I kept, uh, after you know considering it, they were all you know all nice people. You know, oh, absolutely, like, yeah. Uh, but it was like I kept so Joe Condon, absolutely, and then Joe Myers was the music director, mm-hmm. and I kept Joe. I hired Chuck Taylor and Diane Donato because I wanted to have, and the notion was, I, I was. I decided the target was women who who either were management or aspired to be in management. The standard morning show was the dominant male and the female, you know, sidekick. Sidekick, yeah. I decided to have the female sidekick, Diane Donato, be a little bit more dominant or equal, at least. Yeah. With Chuck Taylor. Smart. Because that... (laughs) <laughs> that's the target audience we're going after. There you go. You know? Yeah. Although, interestingly enough, when I did some research about dish jockeys, I actually did focus groups and I played air checks of people but that didn't identify their names. It was just people. And it was interesting. Women didn't seem to like to listen to other women. Mm-hmm. I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, they preferred male voices. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyhow, uh, th- th- those are the kind of things I kind of learned as I went along. Sure. Uh, and uh, so we put together B ninety five point five. K light was obviously our, you know, they were Target. dominant. Yep. Yep. 
I was working for a company that didn't believe in having marketing budgets or promotion budgets. <laughs> you know, shoe straight, shoe oh, straight yeah. operations. Oh, it's sure. like, okay, fine. So I had to find ways to promote the radio station. Paul Bendad, who had owned, who was owner of K Light, mm-hmm. I had actually. They were looking for a program director at one point before I got the B95 job, and I interviewed with him, and he told me I was too old. Okay. <laughs> I drove Paul out of business in two years <laughs> with B95. Take that. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, sorry, man, it was a bit malicious on my part. But no, anyway, no, you know, no. I, payback. Yeah, uh, yeah. We've all gone through it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so <laughs> at one point, I did a thing where I bought an ad. We did we had trade with the TU. I bought an ad where I somehow encouraged people, K-Light listeners, it was attention K-Light listeners or whatever, and had them send their phone or their, their phone numbers or fax number, whatever it was, their information to us. Okay. <laughs> to a post office box site or something like that. Yeah. And then, or fax it. It was to fax it. The fax machines were big, we're big at that. Yeah, time. whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. So I could get a database, basically. Wow. Right? Ben Dad got annoyed. So he started flooding our fax machine, which was illegal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so we turned them in. <laughs> oh, wow. Jeez. This, this got a little dirty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and of course, John Kelly, who tends to be a little confrontational, loved it. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, so, and then we did things like when Michael Bolton was uh, playing the, the uh, Pepsi Arena or whatever it was then, mm-hmm. uh, actually went down to the parking lot down there and had flyers printed up about tuning in. Yep. Being easy five. Uh, I think because I think we played Michael Bolton music on the after the show or something. Yeah, you know, just uh, you there know, you just go. something to create yeah. sampling. Yeah, yeah. You know, you had to do things like that. You and, had to. And, yeah. But that, that that to me was the golden age of radio. Yeah, I mean, right. that, That's I mean, you know, that that was done in in major markets back in the in the sixties and right. into the seventies, and here we are in the nineties, and that's still you know, radio was still live, right. And still was personality driven, right. You know, and of course, all that's just gone by the wayside right. pretty much. So it's like, yeah, I mean, that was in many ways, I kind of I view B ninety five as a highlight of my career. Cool. Yeah, because they, I got to do so much of that stuff. Yeah, I loved the GNA was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've really recently I now listen to there's a, a a streaming channel Radio Garden, RadioGarden.com, which is it's a Google map of the entire world, and you can go to any radio station. I mean, I I listen to radio stations in New Zealand and in Calgary and Edmonton. I've been listening to this indigenous radio station in in Edmonton. Wow. They play country music, a lot of old country music. I didn't realize how much old country music I listened to on Top 40 when I was growing up. There you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because uh, so there's so much crossover going on back yeah. in the, you know, in the, in the early sixties, 50s and early sixties, pre-Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, yeah. So I listened to that a lot. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, why did I get to that? Why I'm, do, I'm not sure. You were you were going from uh, going, YJB going, to oh, GNA. I was going to country. It was country, yep. right? Yeah. Yep. And so I had when I was at NBC, I briefly was sent to Chicago to WMAQ. Their program director and general manager out there had been caught in some type of scandal and been relieved of their duties mm-hmm. and they needed uh, someone to come out and be program director temporarily gotcha. while they you know got their ducks in a row so i was shipped out there for three months to WMAQ chicago which was a country station that's what i thought yeah so yeah. uh 
to learn a little bit about country when I was out there. So nice. then when I went to GNA, uh, and Fred Horton had uh, recommended me for the job, nice. uh, and uh, I got to go to GNA and was like, okay, at that particular point in time, it, it, you know, I my philosophy as a program director or as a manager in anything is like, don't go in and immediately make changes. Yeah. Go in, talk to people. Yeah. Learn, gather information. Mm-hmm. Review the information, kind of create your, you know, your assessment of the situation. Exactly. And then, you know, if the changes need to be made, make them, but, or don't. Uh, Right. To me, it was like, I was watching what was going on sociologically, if you will. And from the country music standpoint, it seemed to me what was happening was country was becoming more of a suburban format, basically by listening to the, the music and the content of the music that was out there. I mean, there was a, you know, that whole bias of it saying, I lost my dog, I shot my, you know, I lost my dog, I lost my wife, you know, all that, <laughs> right, you yeah. know the, my truck and all that stuff. And it was that real <laughs> negative bias towards country yep. uh, or, or disdain, I guess. Yeah. But it seemed that it was moving from a more rural influence format to a more suburban influence yeah, absolutely. format. With the Tim oh, McGraws yeah. and all those yep. folks. Uh, and people who grew up with rock. Yep. And in this market, I, we actually did some research, and actually research actually for the Northeast. Uh, a guy named Ed Shane uh, did the research, and uh, what they found was that basically it was you know uh, politically it was uh, a third Democrats, a third Republicans, a third Independents. You wow. know, it was yeah. like it wasn't like the South. It wasn't like yeah. other parts of the country, true, which was very conservative in terms yep. of music. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we started. I started to think in terms of really what the format was was hot AC country music. It's your Saturday morning soundtrack. Unbelievable. Buzz Brindle with your favorite country hit on Country 107.7. Come on, let's go move it. WGNA FM. Country 107.7 WGNA FM with Brad Paisley, who's going to become a daddy next month. There's uh, Brad's uh, tribute, no doubt, to Kimberly. She's everything to me. Good morning. I'm Buzz Brindle at 612, 12 minutes past 6 o'clock on this uh, frigid Saturday morning here at Country 107.7 WGNA FM. But uh, but Steve Kepper says it will be warmer than it was yesterday. (laughs) We'll check his uh, weekend forecast for you momentarily. Hi, good morning. Who's this? Hi, this is Josh. Where are you listening to us? Uh, In Waterford. Hey, Josh. How how many members are, are there on a NASCAR pit crew? I would say 12. That's a good guess, but no, it's seven. All right. Well, anyhow, hey, just for being our seventh caller, Josh, you scored the CD copy of Lone Star's latest album, Mountains, courtesy of B&A Records, WGNA, okay? All right, thank you. Have you stay warm this weekend. The Capital Region's NASCAR station, Country 107.7 WGNA-FM. Latest from Rascal Flats from me and my gang here stand. If you just tuned in, I've been telling stories uh, about the fact that I've been down in Nashville. I was down in Nashville uh, about a week and a half ago for a big radio convention. And, and one of my favorite parts uh, of this convention is sitting on a, what they call guitar poles, when a bunch of songwriters get together and, and tell stories about their songs. Uh, Jeffrey Steele, who used to be the lead singer of the group Boy Howdy, mm-hmm. uh, is one of the most successful songwriters in Nashville right now. Jeffrey wrote Steve Holy's hit Brand New Girlfriend. He wrote uh, Keith Anderson's Every Time I Hear Your Name, Rascal Flatts, My Wish, Montgomery Gentry's uh, wow. Something to Be Proud Of, just a ton of great hits, just to name a few. So you think life would be great for Jeffrey Steele. 
but you'd be wrong. Uh, and the reason is that six weeks ago this weekend, Jeffrey Steele lost his 13-year-old son, Alex, mm. in an ATV accident. And let me tell you, there weren't many dry eyes in the room uh, the other day when Jeffrey Steele sang this song that he had written for Rascal Flats. And we all listened to that song from the perspective of a parent who had lost a child. Then we had, you know, everybody had their kind of goofy names. Their, you know, Dollar Bill <laughs> Early and uh, Gambling Gary and Ryan yeah. Ritchie. And, right. And it's like, this seems a little corny for this particular point in time, this particular stage of the game. Yeah. Uh, let's be real people as yeah. opposed to cartoon caricatures. Sure. And there was a little resistance to that, you know. Uh, uh, and, uh, but you know, it was like, no, we're going to be real from now on. Nice. Uh, then there was some uh, issues with the morning show. Yeah. So I had to get a new host for the morning show uh, to work with Richie. Sean McMaster was doing Rhyme and Love and Leaving, or Crying Love and Leaving at yeah. night. Seven. Yeah. Uh, and I heard a bit that he did at one point. It was just like, whoa. It disconnected. I called him and he was like, that was great. Nice. So I, I'm still trying to figure out who can I pair up with Richie? Yeah. Know, for morning show, to make a change. I mean, Gary was still there at the time. Uh, and I was taking a shower one morning. It's like, wow. Sean, who tends to be a little edgy, mm -hmm. and Richie, the nice guy, a little oil and yeah, this could work. Could work. Yeah, my notion was in this market, people didn't grow up with country music; they grew up with Fly ninety two or Picks. True. So it's like we would be trying to draw listeners in who had grown up with that mm -hmm. type of format and attitude. So somewhere between Mason and Sheehan and uh, <laughs> sure. the, the Fly ninety two morning show. Yeah, and it's yeah. like well. A Sean and Richie show can kind of bridge that gap. True. Yeah. Uh, and so, but I knew that my experience was that general managers tended not to believe program directors. Yeah. So I had uh, Rusty <laughs> Walker was our consultant, a uh, very well-respected consultant in the country music industry. So Rusty was in and I said, okay, here's my idea. And he said, okay, so Sean happened to be outside my office smoking a cigarette on the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the... And I said, go on, talk to Sean, see if he'd be interested in that. So I sent Rusty out, and he did. And I was like, yeah, he'd be interested. So it's like, okay, you go in and tell Osfeld <laughs> that this is your idea. Yeah. And so he did, and nice. Bobby bought it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was the genesis of the Sean Richie show. There you go, yeah. Uh, and, and the beginning of... Uh, yeah, and the notion the was that because what we the research had shown, Edison research had, had shown, people would think they disliked country music, but when they became exposed to it, they realized it wasn't what they thought it was. Exactly. And they would develop a taste for it. Yep. So the notion was, okay, let's drive people into new potential listeners into the Sean of Ritchie show, there which is go. a bit more mainstream. Yep. Uh, the music is somewhat incidental to the entertainment exactly. factor of the show. Yeah, yeah. And then move them through to middays and move them through the day parts. There you go. Yeah. So, Smart. Smart. You know, and it seemed to work. Well, so. you created a, a, a real uh, uh, you know, juggernaut. I mean, for... Well, I mean, it how, had already how, been a juggernaut. Yeah, well, but, it, yeah. yeah, you're right. But, I mean, you, you added to it and, it, and it, I mean, it led in the ratings for, you know, forever and, and yeah. a day. Yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, we would run into... 
competitive sometimes b95 would be this 25 54 uh-huh. which was kind of interesting you know it's yeah. like okay my old my old there station. you go sure. i thought it was really kind of funny when the whole dixie chicks controversy happened yep and i you know dixie chicks were a big thing for country radio so it was like and i had done some uh questionnaires to our p1 audience our primary audience and it's like what it came back to was they they weren't happy with what the chicks had done, but they didn't want their music banned. Yeah, corporate the, the or corporate v, uh, the, the guy who had been my they, they, when Regent Communications bought us, they fired. They came in and said, "You guys are great. You guys have been you know number one. Why could we be crazy to make changes?" By the way, Rusty Walker's no longer your soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds Standard, about right. right. Yeah, yep. and they brought in another guy to be their consultant. Okay, and he's from Arkansas and uh, loved to take me out to lunch and use his Sons of the Confederacy credit card. Oh, boy. I was too much of a Yankee for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so he thought we should ban the Dixie Chicks because mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, a lot of stations did. And, oh, yeah, they did. It was, you know, and uh, you know, they, they, it was kind of like the old Beatles thing when John Lennon did the thing about you know being more popular than Jesus, right? Yeah. You know, based on what I would say, it was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I actually created a, a George Bush I saw, I was watching CNN or something, and, and there were, George Bush was asked about the Dixie Chicks, and he said, well, they have their right to their opinion, whatever. Yeah. So I made a promo. <laughs> so yep. like, President Bush. <laughs> you there know, you go. Like, sure. And, uh, you know, just anything we do to kind of save the whole thing. President Bush forgives the Dixie Chicks and other critics. I don't take anything personally. Um, wonderful thing about free speech and a lot of TV stations is you get a lot of opinions. Some of them are right, and some of them are really wrong. But uh, that's okay. That's what we thats what we believe. We believe in free speech. We people ought to be able to express their opinion. The spirit of America lives on Country 107.7. WGNA-FM. But I thought it was funny. We never banned the Dixie Chicks. B-95 did. Interesting. And I thought, yeah. well, that's weird. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean... It's not a big controversy for the B95 audience. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And yeah. uh, or maybe for some of them, but certainly nowhere not near. The majority, and yeah. this is a popular yeah. act. Yeah. Uh, popular music. So, you know, it was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, mm-hmm. yeah, there was some of the interesting stuff. And I was, and it was, I remember, in fact, I just heard Goodbye Earl the other day. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I and, love that song. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it, and, and it was, it was, it was and like. The, and the video. Yeah. yeah with the, Dennis yeah, Frank. The video was great. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, I, I, I remember Channel 6 or one of the TV stations came in to interview me about it. And I, okay. was, I was justifying it to yeah, like, yeah, And yeah. I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, the other day, I was thinking, how could I justify yeah, this? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, <laughs> but no, at the was, time, <laughs> yeah. But but you know, they were they were no dummies. I mean, that yeah. that song put them on the map. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it really. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Got a lot of attention. Yeah. So you kind of went out on the top guy, didn't you? I mean, GNA was doing fine when when yeah. you you were done. Yeah. Yeah. I just prefer not to be out. <laughs> well, true, true. Yeah. Well, I, I felt the same way a couple of years ago. I mean, ago, to be quite honest, part-time. I would. About, I, I mean, I really wouldn't want to be back in the radio industry as it is right now as a yeah. program director. Yeah, same here. Because it seems to me the radio industry has kind of moved back. 
I mean, it's not entirely. I mean, there's certainly places around the country where there are local radio stations that are doing very well, yeah. uh, and they're, they have a lot of autonomy. But it seems that uh, in many ways, especially with the iHearts and the Cumuluses and the, the big radio groups, they're kind of moving back to the way it was back in, in the 20s and 30s when they had the networks, they were networks. Out, of, out of Chicago and, sure. and L.A. and, and New York. Right, right. Uh, And it's all yeah, very centralized. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so that doesn't particularly address me. Yeah, same here. Because uh, I liked the idea of being – I liked – I know I got in trouble with Bobby Oswell once because I said it was my radio station. Mm. And he said, well, it's my radio station. I said, well, <laughs> pardon me, but in the trades, they don't think it's your, you know, when, when the numbers go down, they don't blame you. They True. blame me. True. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. So it's my radio station. You know, I have to make the decisions and I have to take the blame. That's true. So, yeah. you know, that's the way it goes. And But I don't mind that. I liked, you know, because it, I enjoyed the challenges sure. of it. Sure. sure. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, obviously, uh, yeah, we miss having your hand in it, but uh, just about everybody that I'm talking to these days uh, that have been in radio for 40, 50 years, we're pretty much all in the same boat. Sure. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. I and mean, it, I view podcasting as, uh, you know, and I, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm not one of those people that ever had a home studio because uh, <laughs> I, I'm not very good technically either. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, I went to a podcasting convention back in 2007 in Boston. Wow. And it was great. All yeah. It reminded me of the old radio convention. Absolutely. You know, yeah. all these young, enthusiastic yep. people with, it was just the energy was terrific. Yeah. It was like, how can I become a part of this? Exactly. Uh, yeah. But I never figured out a way to actually make a living at it, sure. I mean, I never, I, 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 don't view myself as a person as a host of a podcast. Okay. Uh, I would love to be in a company where I could somehow recruit people to do podcasts or to do the research to find out what would work or what yeah. you know, and yeah, and cool. build from that. Same, you know, be, I, I'm, a, I'm a good behind. As I explained to somebody. I've explained to several people, but it's like <laughs> I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm the guy behind it. I'm the guy that helps make the entrepreneur's dreams come true. Okay. Entrepreneurs, I view as people are great salespeople, mm-hmm. not very good at detail work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I enjoy the behind-the-scenes detail work stuff cool. uh, and and building it from there. Yeah. Uh, when I went to the, I I now work for the city of Saratoga Springs Public Safety Department. Right. I was hired to be. Uh, to work, they they actually had two part time jobs, one for the fire department, one for the police department. They combined them to make it a full time job. So cool. I worked one day for the police department, the next day for the fire department. Uh, for the police department, when I got there, I discovered that their former chief had created a Facebook page and then forgotten that he had been uh, relieved of duty for something, and uh, he had forgotten the password. Oh boy! So for a year and a half. <laughs> They had a Facebook page that nobody could access to yeah, change yeah, yeah. So I finally figured that out. Uh, <laughs> it took a while, but I did that. So I took it with their Facebook page, and I created a Twitter account for them. It's like, you know, it's like it's, yeah. it was 2000, well, I've been there seven years, 2014. You know, you have to have a social media component yeah. here. Yeah. They didn't really take it that seriously. Mm-hmm. But it was like, so I used, uh, you know, I, I, I became their ad hoc social media manager. That's not what they hired me for. But yeah. uh, but that was the that was the fun part for me. Yeah. You know, I viewed it as a way to 
to, especially Facebook, to create a sense of community. You know, a lot of pictures of, you know, the the, the mounted patrol guys. There was, there was a great one with that. One of the guys who was, uh, a guy named John Sesselman was the, one of the patrol officers. He rode King Tut, who was the big horse. That, that, that he's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a true Saratoga character. And... Uh, there was a picture where John had gone to the drive-through at Dunkin' Donuts, and he's, there's a picture of this cop on a horse at the drive-through at Dunkin' Donuts. There you which go. Somebody, so I posted, reposted that on Facebook. Bingo. John was in England on vacation. Wow. And guy, he was talking to somebody at a bar or something, and the guy said, hey, "Where are you from?" He said, "I'm from Saratoga." He says, "Oh, there was this picture of this guy." I said, "That was me." That's me. <laughs> wow. How cool is that? Yeah, that was great. It really uh, is the World Wide Web. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I yeah. found out that we've got some listeners to this podcast from Ireland. It's the only place off the north, uh, out of North America, that we've had some some downloads. Uh-huh. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if you know American radio just sounds different for them there. Sure. And they, they you know, or or maybe it's just somebody that used to live here that's now over there, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, is tuning in because of uh, the folks that I've you know interviewed so far. But yeah. uh, this is by far been um, uh, more fun than uh, than than uh, a barrel of monkeys. <laughs> uh, uh, anything I could do on a rainy Saturday afternoon. I appreciate you coming down from uh, Saratoga County in the rain and uh, sitting here with us today. And uh, no matter what you do, and, and if you think of any ideas to figure out how to you know make this make money, because mm-hmm. I, you know I'm not doing it for that. Right. I'm doing it mostly for the fun of it. Right. Some for the history of it. Right. You know. Um, I'm, I'm really, um, I don't know what I was thinking when I first started this. I probably should have sat down with some of the oldest people first because I would love to have had right. Dick Wood in here. Right. And we just lost Dick yeah. last week. And I never and, did get a chance to meet him. Oh, I never, you know, I grew up, yeah. uh, Dick was on in Providence for years and, and yep. my, my folks used to watch him. Sure. And then he moved up here and yeah. I remember that, uh, one of the uh, gatherings that you guys had uh, was a dinner. Yeah. Yep. Uh, a couple of years ago, I guess yeah. it was. He was and there. I was going to go over and introduce myself, but he was in conversation with, I think, Doc Perryman. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't yeah. want to interrupt, so I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He would not have minded it at all, especially somebody yeah. from back in his yeah. uh, you know, home yeah. area. Yeah. So, may but, you rest uh, in peace. Absolutely. Again, thanks, Buzz. I appreciate okay. your time. Thanks, Warren. Radio Split Ranch. Wait till I tell my kids I talked with someone who helped start MTV. I have reached a new status of cool in my family. And if you're keeping track of our running count of how many stations are represented by our four guests so far at the Radio Split Ranch, Buzz's 20 stops brings us to 47 you're interested in that. I'm sure you've been wondering about the photo that accompanies my monthly podcast. And and even if you haven't, I thought it might be fun to kind of dissect it for you so you understand what uh, my mindset was at the age of about 14 when this photo was taken. Uh, This was a a pine desk built into the end of our knotty pine paneled basement in our family home in East Glenville circa 1966 or so. Sitting on the desk uh, on the left, looking uh, a tad crooked, is the broken typewriter that I used for everything from homework to writing the neighborhood newspaper that had uh, two or three editions, if I remember correctly. Uh, 
maybe circulation four. Anyway, the, the reason the typewriter is propped up like that is uh, that the belt that moved the carriage broke. I didn't know how to fix it, so I had to rely on gravity for the movement of the machine, the only science I really ever understood, gravity. Uh, right above my neatly trimmed head is the 1958 edition of the Book of Knowledge Encyclopedia. Not sure how my folks afforded that, but it got us through our school years pre-internet. To the uh, right of that is my studio clock, which I attached to a piece of plywood with a hole in it so I could decorate around it. Um, I remember that it was an old clock and it made a bit of a motor noise that uh, wouldn't be acceptable in a real studio. Directly under that hangs the iron lamp I made in junior high shop class. I, I wired it, but the shop teacher actually did the welding. Um, at my elbow is the wooden mic stand that I uh, made at my dad's nearby basement workbench. Behind that, you'll see one of the two three-inch reel-to-reel battery-operated tape recorders I had. Uh, the other tape recorder is the black one sitting on the desk to the right of my elbow. And behind that is one of the two 45 RPM record cases that contain the station's record library. Uh, some of the records were mine. Many were my younger brother's, much to his chagrin. The poor kid had to listen to my radio station to hear his own records. And he could do that thanks to the little light blue quarter-watt radio transmitter from Lafayette Electronics sitting just below my uh, handmade lamp, lamp there. You'll also notice a black 9 transistor radio sitting on the shelf next to the clock. I believe it was 9 transistor. I'd stepped up from 6 or 7. And below that, sitting on the desk, is a white toy walkie-talkie with telescoped antenna. I used to communicate with my nearby neighbor Mike with that. Uh, yeah, his name was Mike. You know, appropriate for, um, you know, microphones at a radio station, I guess. So that's where my 51-year-old radio career was shaped, right there, where I recorded my first audition tapes and my attempts at the age of 16 to get on any local radio station that would have me. By the way, I tell that story in my memoir, available through Amazon Books and Audible Audiobooks, called I'll Have to Ask My Mom. You might want to check that out. Of course, now comes the time where I try to figure out what I, you know, end this each podcast with an, an air check. Uh, I spent some time between the uh, last episode and this one putting together a complete CD library directory of uh, what I own. Uh, you know, these are air checks from the last, uh, well, 51 years or so, F 50 years, just over 50 years that I was in the business, full and part-time. And um, I, I really couldn't find any particular station to pick on uh, this particular time. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, I spent some time when my boys were, I want to say, four and six years old, yeah, in that range somewhere. And uh, we, uh, we had two boys, we still do have two boys. And they did, um, I got them to do commercials with me uh, when I was working at WGNA, program director, and also doing a lot of production at the time. Uh, I was even an off-air PD for a while, which gave me even more time to do production, which was cool. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I had a lot of fun putting some of these together. So I thought I'd just play a few selections for you to kind of end it, since we've gone, uh, once again, kind of long on this. And I don't want to bore you to tears, but I think you'll have some fun listening to my sons Ryan and Eric as they make their debuts in the commercials that aired on WGNA back in the uh, early 1980s. Don't forget to join us again uh, just before Christmas time for our next uh, episode. In the meantime, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Daddy's home. Hi, Daddy. <laughs> Hi, guys. How you doing? Hey, Dad. 
Can we go bowling? Gee, I don't know, son. It's a weekday, and all the leagues are bowling. It's not six o'clock yet, and Bowling Green has open bowling every day until six o'clock. Well, it is only 4.30. What about dinner, though? Mommy says we can eat at Bowling Green. They have a nice restaurant, and I'm going to have a hamburger. You know, Joe at the office was saying they have homemade soups and great sandwiches. Yeah, and a bowling special, too. A bowling special? All we have to do is bring something that says GNA on it. Something that says GNA on it. And we get to bowl two games and get a third game three. You mean free? I, I mean free. <laughs> Only one problem, son. I really need some help with my bowling equipment. Everything's getting so old. We can go to the pro shop, Dad. The pro shop? Sonny Dorstick is there, and he's a 20-year pro. Where did you hear all this? They talk about Bowling Green on JNA all the time. That's where the disc jockeys bowl every Monday night. Okay, this is the one on Routes 9 and 20, Columbia Turnpike in East Greenbush, right? That's right, Dad. You can drive. <laughs> Since I started doing commercials for Amco Transmission, a lot of people have asked me how a five-year-old can talk intelligently about cars when I don't even drive. Well, I watch and listen to my dad. He says Jim Array Van S at Amco Transmission, 1025 Central Avenue, Albany, can see that you get your transmission repaired right. My dad, you know, he's smart. He even wrote this commercial for me. What's the matter, Dad? Well, son, our car insurance just went up again, and last month it was our homeowner's insurance, and, well, just be glad you don't have to worry about such things yet. Have you called the Gregson Agency? The Gregson Agency? Where'd you hear about that? The guy on the radio. He says the Gregson Agency can get you the best insurance deals, because they shop for their insurance through 30 different companies. Is that right? How about our homeowners and other insurances? The guy on the radio says Gregson handles auto, home, life, and even motorcycle insurance. Dad, can I have a motorcycle? Uh, maybe someday, son. Tell me more about Gregson. Well, they do special insurance reviews so you can find out if you have the proper coverage or not. And where did you say Gregson was located? I didn't, but the guy on the radio says they got two locations now. In downtown Albany, right next to Motor Vehicles, and in Clifton Park on Route 146 at 146A. You know, if you listen to me as well as you listen to that guy on the radio, I wouldn't have to yell half as much. Daddy! Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! Yeah, what are you doing in Dwayne's toilet? Why, shopping for good little boys and girls like you, Ryan. Eric, he knows my name. Yeah! But, Cena, what about your elves? Well, they're so busy, I need help from Dwayne's in Albany and Schenectady. I know. My mom and dad shop here, too. They say this is where all the smart Santa shop. Yeah! Have you been good boys this year? Does July count? How about weekend? Well, do you think Dwayne's Toyland has everything you'll want? Yeah! I saw Legos, Transformers, Stompers, G.I. Joe, and Cave Bears, too! Did you send me your lists? I did, but Eric doesn't know how to spell yet, so I helped. Well, I know that with help from Dwayne's Toyland, you'll be really happy on Christmas morning. Oh, do they deliver? Right! All the smart Santas shop Dwayne's Toyland with two locations in Westgate Shopping Center, Central Avenue, Albany, and at 3109 State Street, Schenectady, open daily 9.30 to 9.30, Sunday 10 to 5.